So with that, I bring you Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them, and they drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Ah, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. Oh, how suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. It's good to see some new faces. It's good to see some old faces back. College students, welcome. Glad to have you back. Well, I was having a conversation <clears throat> with a friend this week, and uh, she's very honest with me, and she said in a loving, gracious manner, um, Todd, you need to stop complaining about life and enjoy the wonderful things that God has given you. And I sat there and I told her, you know, I do enjoy life um, for the most part. I just wish I was more of an introvert. I'm an extrovert. And extroverts, to get energy, they need people. But introverts, they're awesome. They can just turn inward. They don't need anyone. And it makes for an easier life. And as I was saying all this to her, she was kind of smiling, saying, well, one, you're complaining right now. And two, um, I think you've got a problem. And 
the more I thought about it, the more I thought how often I complain. And the reason why I complain is often I'm envious. I'm envious of others. And as I struggle with envy and it takes away my hope and my joy, I think in the same ways as we've talked over the past weeks, anxiety, despair, and loss can take away our hope and our joy. You've heard the expression green with envy. Um, This shows my ignorance. I always thought that meant green meaning good, you know, signified wealth, success. But as I was reading Dan Allender's book this week, Cry of the Soul, I learned that green really means um, throwing up and sickness. And so when you're green with envy, it literally makes you sick. So envy is certainly not something that any of us aspire to do, and yet we all struggle with. And it takes away our joy and our hope. And so the question for us this morning is how do we learn to struggle well with envy? And I believe the answer is found in this beautiful psalm, Psalm 73. And if you have your bulletins, you can look or you can bring out your Bibles. And as we look at this psalm, I want us to see two things. And the first is the struggle with envy. And then secondly, I'd like for us to look at the path to hope. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning that you've brought us to this place. This place of worship. And Lord, just as Asaph entered the place of worship and you opened his eyes to see, I pray this morning as we enter and worship here together, that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, for hearts here this morning who are struggling to believe in you at all, I'm grateful that they're here I'm grateful that you love them, God, and I pray this morning that they'd experience your love and your grace. So wherever we are this morning, would you meet us, and would you transform our hearts, and we pray this in your name, amen. Well, if you look at the psalm, the first thing that the psalmist teaches us is that the struggle with envy. Now, one of the most challenging things for us as individuals is to to own, to be honest, to be real about our struggles. And you you saw my reluctance with my friend over lunch, but yet as we look at the psalm, what we see is that Asaph is not reluctant to be honest. He owns the fact that he is not in a good place. And he's honest that he is struggling with envy. He says, but as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, if you look at these verses, it's interesting because Asaph uses first person pronouns. And the number of times he uses them in this verse is again and again. He says, me, my feet, my steps. I was envious. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's no blame shifting in this psalm. Asaph owns the fact that he is struggling. He owns the fact that he is envious. And I love that because often when we're struggling with sin, we we turn from God. We don't talk to God. but, But in this psalm, 
what do we see Asaph doing? Not turning away from God, but going to God and talking to him. And he goes on to say in verses 4 through 12, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Now, if you hear Asaph, it's it's easy to, to, to believe exactly what he's saying. But one thing about envy, it's important for us to note, is that envy always distorts reality. Kidner says this way, he says that Asaph paints a picture of these darlings of fortune. Overblown, overweening, laughable, if they were not so ruthless. You see, Asaph, he exaggerates the fortunes of the wicked. He says that they're free from any sharp or emotional pain until they reach death's door. But we know the truth, and the truth is, this side of heaven... Those, all of us, the rich, the wicked, were going to struggle. But Asaph is distorted in his reality. And then he goes on to say, they, they never get in trouble. They're not stricken down with afflictions. They're not like the rest of mankind. They're proud people. They're violent people. They even speak against God. Yet, they somehow are able to get what they want. Their lives are one eternal party. And then, which is often the case, when we bow our hearts to envy, we move to self-pity. Because as Asaph looks at the wicked, and he's saying that they're prosperous, and they get everything they want, he then looks at his own life, and in verses 13 through 15, he says, Woe is me. I've tried and tried to do the right thing. I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Look at me, God. I've done all the things that you've commanded me to do. And what did I receive? I am punished. He says, for all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. You see, Asaph's envy distorts the reality of the wealthy and the wicked. And it also distorts his own reality, leaving him in despair. And although it might be easy for us to hear his complaint and think that he is the exception, the truth is, I'm not the only person in this room that struggles with empty. All of us, this side of heaven, struggle with envy. For some of us, we envy people's things. We envy their nice houses, their new cars, their beautiful artwork, their new furniture, their vacation homes. 
for others of us, it's not so much the things that people have that we envy. It's the certain gifts and talents they possess. We look at those that have the gift of leadership and we say, I wish I had that same gift. We look at the people on the stage on Sunday morning. And instead of enjoying worship, we think to ourselves, if I could just play the piano like Michael Van Patter. Or if I could just sing like Angie Shinky. Or we look at a classmate on campus and we think, I wish I could play soccer like him because if I did, all the girls would love me. Or I wish I looked like this person because if I did, people would move toward me. Or we look to coworkers and think, I wish I was as smart as they are or as efficient as they are. It can be very subtle But if you listen to yourself throughout the day, you will be amazed at how many times you say, I wish I was like this person or I wish I had this thing. Case in point, I was literally writing this sermon on Thursday and John Freeman came into my office to drop off some things. And he noticed my bookshelves uh, over to my left and he complimented me. He said, you know, gosh, Todd, you've got tons of books. And instead of just receiving that compliment, I said, yeah, I've got tons of books and I've read most of them. But, you know, I I really wish I was like Tim Keller because Tim Keller has a photographic memory and everything he reads, he remembers and it helps him with sermon prep. And then I kind of started laughing because I was like, there it is right there. I'm writing a sermon on envy And there it is. And I told John, I was like, envy, there it is. And he laughed and he chuckled. It's that subtle. And literally, if you if you listen to yourself through the day, it's amazing. I can say I can envy 10, 20, 30 times a day. Unfortunately, all of us are like Asaph. And we struggle with envy. And when we do, it moves us to despair and it takes away our hope. And our joy. But the good news of this psalm is that the psalmist doesn't leave us stuck in envy. He gives us a path, a path to hope. And so let's look at that path. It begins by opening up our eyes to see the real world around us. If you look at verse 17, Asaph enters the sanctuary of God. And it is there in the sanctuary of God as he worships God that God takes off the glasses of envy and puts on his glasses of truth and righteousness. And as Asaph has the glasses of truth before him, He begins to see how distorted his thinking is. He begins to see that the wicked that he is envying don't have it all that great. Kidner commenting on this text says, God enlightens Asaph's mind so that he might see the truth. And if you look at verses 18 through 20, Asaph says, truly, You set them in slippery slippery places. 
You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. You see, Asaph begins to remember Psalm 1. He remembers the way of the wicked. He remembers that the wicked are like chaff blown away by the wind. They have no roots. They are not grounded. And if they do not profess faith in Christ, they will face judgment when Christ comes again. It's like the scales of envy that once blinded Asaph have fallen off. And he begins to see the world as it is. And so if we're going to move from envy to hope, we need to enter the sanctuary of God. We need to enter the presence of God. And the good news this morning is you are here. God is wanting to meet you. And he is wanting to take the glasses of envy off you and me this morning and to put on the glasses of truth so that we might see the world as it really is. But it doesn't stop there, the path to hope. Secondly, God moves us. Once we see reality, he moves us to confess and to repent of envy. Not only does he see the plight of the wicked, Asaph sees the wickedness of his own heart. And he cries out to God, confessing and repenting. In verses 21 and 22, Asaph says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I, I was a brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Again, you hear the first personal pronouns. Asaph has taken responsibility for his envy. He's saying, I was pricked in my heart. I was brutish. I was ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Asaph admits to himself and to all of us and to God that he is a sinner and that he is struggling with envy and that he needs to turn away from envy And to turn to God. And if we are going to move down this path from envy to hope, not only do we need to have eyes to see reality, we need to confess. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God. And we need to repent of our envy. But the path to hope does not stop there. Thirdly and lastly, If we are going to move from envy to hope, we need to remember the truth that God is sufficient. He is sufficient to give you and me everything. His word says this, everything we need for life and godliness. In verse 1, Asaph declares the truth. He says, God is is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And in verses 23 through 26, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is nothing, nothing, nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, the path from envy to hope is not just seeing reality and confessing and repenting. It's also turning to God and seeing that he, he alone is sufficient. And God might not give you everything you want, but he promises to give you everything you need. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 26 and following. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? You see, Jesus here is promising us. He's saying to us that he will provide the food, the transportation, the shelter that we all need. Now, my transportation might not look like your transportation. But Jesus gave me the transportation I need, and he's going to give you the car you need. Jesus will give you the dorm room that you need, and he'll give someone else the dorm room that they need. Jesus here promises that he is enough. There's no need to look at others and to envy the things that they have because God promises to provide everything you need. But the beauty of this is that God not only provides the things we need, God also provides you with the gifts and talents that you need. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. The psalmist writes, For you were formed in my inward parts. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Before you were even a thought in your mom and dad's minds and hearts, God knew you. And when he created you, he created you uniquely you. And he gave you the gifts, the talents, the personality that you and only you need. And so there's no need to look to others and say, I want that gift or I want that talent. God says to you, no, no, no. I created them uniquely them and I created you uniquely you. You can rest. You can rest in me and you can rest in the fact that I created you. I can remember talking with Phil Anderson. He was my spiritual director. I was talking to him. It was right as we were beginning to plant Hope Chapel, which was nearly 10 years ago. And I was sharing with him how inadequate that I felt. And I said to him, you know, I feel like I can do a lot of the administrative things because that's my gift. But one of my gifts that I don't really have is the gift of preaching. 
And yet I know to plant a church, to be a lead pastor, I need to be able to preach. And I'm not really that good at it. And any of you who know Phil, he's in a rocking chair. He kind of closed his eyes and kind of rocks back and forth. And you kind of wait for him to speak. And then he opens his eyes. Sometimes they kind of roll back a little bit and you kind of panic a little bit. But then he, he eventually he kind of breathed a little bit. And he said, Todd, God gave you the exact gifts that Hope Chapel needs. And he's called you to that place. He's made you uniquely you. And just as Mary took the alabaster jar and broke it and anointed Jesus' feet, God's calling you to be broken and to pour out whatever gifts, talents you have and to trust that he is sufficient and that he will take those gifts And the Holy Spirit will use it to build this church. I'll never forget that conversation. And I have to remind myself of that conversation almost daily. But if we're going to move from envy to hope, not only do we need to, to see reality, to have the eyes of Christ, And look through his word. Not only do we need to confess and repent of our sins. We need to turn to God. And we need to see that he satisfies us. He provides everything you need. And he has given you all the gifts and talents that you have. And so there's no need to look to others. And so I wonder this morning. How are you doing with envy? Where are you struggling this morning? Where might you be on the path from envy to hope and joy? Maybe for some of you this morning, he's putting on the lenses as you've come into the worship. And you're starting to see, well, maybe I look at these people and I think they have a great life. But the reality is... They might not, because this side of heaven, we all struggle. Maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit has convicted you of envy. And you need a moment to confess and to repent to him. You can do that now, to confess and repent that sin. And maybe there's some this morning you've confessed and repent. But you came this morning and you still felt empty. Will you let God meet you this morning? Will you thirst and hunger for him as we are going to do soon and let him feed you and satisfy your heart and your soul and know that he will give you everything you need. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need. And he has created each of you uniquely you and he's given you a call to go into greensboro to cause its flourishing to be the student that he's called you to be in the classroom to be the co-worker he's called you to be to be the mom to be the dad that he has called you uniquely to be will you trust him this morning 
my friend that met with me was correct. And the truth is, any of you who've been around me know that I complain a lot, and uh, envy is a source of a lot of that complaint. I've come to see throughout the day that I struggle with envy of people's things, people's gifts, people's talents. And I can very quickly move to self-pity, resentment, and despair. But the good news of this psalm and the good news of the gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live, to die, and be raised from the dead so that through him we might have life. And through him we might have eyes to see and courage to confess, knowing that he is gracious to forgive us of all of our sins. And that we might have eyes to see that He is enough. My hope is that you too will experience Christ today. And that all of us will be able to say what Asaph says at the end of this psalm. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Amen.